Welcome to Steam Powered, where I have conversations with women in Steam to learn a little bit about what they do and who they are. I'm your host, Michelle Ong. My guest today is Dr. Nicole Chieska. Nicole is a coach, facilitator, and change manager who helps experts and teams in STEM do better work. Join us as we talk about Nicole's STEM journey, sustainable mental health in the workplace, and how we can do better work. So thank you so much, Nicole, for joining me today on Steam Powered. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today about your work and, you know, making work better. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle, for having me. Great. So, yeah, even though you're, you know, this is a different sort of work you're doing now, you started off in chemistry and food sciences. So how did you get into mm-hmm. that to begin with? I always, even as a child in school, I always liked the sciences best. Well, the sciences like biology and chemistry. I never could warm up to mathematics and physics. <laughs> Somehow my brain is not wired to really <laughs> understand. Uh, but like I said, biology and chemistry, I just always really liked and I found so fascinating and interesting. And uh, when the time came to select what I wanted to study, then those were my go-to choices and I didn't want to study pure chemistry that seemed not as appealing or interesting so I wanted to do either pharmacy or biochemistry but for pharmacy I would have had to go to a university in a city that um yeah I just didn't want to go to this And for biochemistry, my school grades weren't good enough. And um, I mean, it's like I missed by 0.5. So, okay. I don't know the grading system in (laughs) Australia or anywhere around the world. Anyway, it was close. It was close. (laughs) But it wasn't enough. And so as a backup to have something in that area, my mother is... I, I don't know how mothers always know what's best. <laughs> My Thank mother you. had suggested, well, why don't you uh, apply for food chemistry? I was in a great city uh, in Dresden in Germany, and uh, it it had this you know aspect of doing something that has something to do with life, has something to do with biology, with chemistry, but it wasn't the, the pure technical aspects, but something very, yeah, very... Mm, in touch with everyday life, which I found fascinating. And so that's what I then studied. And it was really, I mean, the first two years was really about the basics of chemistry. And then um, the remaining two years were deep dives into everything, food sciences. So the technology, analytics, uh, looking at packaging, cosmetics. So anything that is in Germany under the regulation of the food uh, authorities and this includes cosmetics for example packaging mm. for food products textiles these kind of things that's fascinating so what sort of purview does food sciences actually entail like I, it's not clearly just about what we eat and what we consume but you know yeah. how does that scope the, work? yeah the intention so again the um there's a law in germany that regulates um anything around food, water, um, pet food, 
and any other kind of um, let's say things things that we use. I don't. I completely lack the English word for Bedarfsgegenstände is the German <laughs> word. So <laughs> I'm sure everybody understood that. So things that we, that we use in daily life. So that can be food packaging. That can be cooking utensils. That could be um, like dishes, especially if those things are made of plastic. You know, there's regulation mm. about... Uh, and then also when it comes to um, baby toys, you know, it's like having um, things that get into in touch with the um, with the mouth a lot, you know, because then there are limits for, let's say, what kind of certain um, um, compounds you can put in that you need for processing sometimes mm. and to create the product, but they shouldn't leak, for example. Yeah into the mouth or that it shouldn't leak into the food that is packaged. And so all of this is described and regulated. And when you have a law like this, ideally you have people who can analyze and observe if all of the food complies, you know, that there are no, uh, the pesticide levels don't exceed any threshold, all these kind of things. And that is what originally the study area of food chemistry was established for. Mm. to educate those people who then work in the governmental laboratories to analyze all these things. Yeah. And, but it's not the only thing. And, and some portion of the people who study go into those laboratories. Um, but analytics was never so interesting for me. Instead, I really liked the, you know, understanding how things work, but then creating something out of it. So really going more in the industry into product innovation, but still taking all that knowledge with me. That is amazing. So what sort of work did you do for your PhD? Like it, it really must have fascinated you enough to take it to that level. <laughs> yeah, I was actually researching deodorants. <laughs> I think so. Again, it's about, um, it's part of, food chemistry area mm. or the you know the law that it's it also covers cosmetics and so i was at a cosmetics company in the deodorant department and you know when you have like those those roll on deodorants um when you look at the formulations sometimes you, they are transparent sometimes they are like white milky and that is just the base formulation to carry any active ingredient mm. and Inside those active ingredients, they are there to be antiperspirant, so to reduce sweating, or anti or, or yeah, basically deodorizing. Um, so they reduce the number of bacteria on your skin, so the ones that break your sweat into those smelly compounds. Mm. So to reduce re to reduce the body odor that you yes. ex you know just. <laughs> into the world and there are different types of um, active ingredients that we can use for reducing the bacteria on our skin and what they saw was that some of them worked quite nicely in those milky white formulations but when you put the same ingredient into those transparent ones then they lost all their effectiveness Mm. And that is not something that you want as a manufacturer. Yeah? You want to know that if you put something in and ideally when you have a compound that, that works and that people mm, 
get used to being in deodorants, for example, then you yeah, want to attach use it the products. Yeah. Many, yeah, you, you want to use it in as many formulations uh, as you can. And so my research was about finding out what's happening there. And so it was a really, really great blend of, well, first of all, uh, creating lots of formulations, mm. doing a lot of, lot of physical measurements. So um, X-ray diffraction, uh, NMR spectroscopy, I can't even talk. It's very, so for everyone who's listening, it's very early for me in the morning. So NMR spectroscopy, um, what else did we do? Uh, we looked at, yeah, just rheology of, you know, so if I put in um, different amounts of the same uh, active ingredient, how does this influence vis viscosity, for example? Um, I looked under the microscope just to see how any structural changes that we might have. But then also testing the efficacy, you know, um, mm. with, for example, bacteria in the lab. So you would have a bacterial suspension, put a little bit of the formulation in it, and then it incubated. And after a while, you count the bacteria and you would see literally. Um, how many there are left that are living. And then there was also in vivo testing. So having a, a study with, with people where they would come and I would apply on them the, the deodorant. So it's just really Scientifically fun. Scientifically we would, we would take samples from the top of their, I mean, we wouldn't take skin off them, but we would like, <laughs> yeah, rinse off the skin yes. and collect uh, that and to analyze how many bacteria were left and then there was also a what was called sniffing panel so meaning um, people would we would have a left right comparison for them and uh, and um, then there were trained sniffers they are called yeah. and they would just sniff you know it's like which smells more which smells less and so so we were looking at those things from all different angles. And in the end, it all came together to a really great picture. So I could, I could see a very consistent picture in how was it in vitro. So the efficacy in, uh, in the bacterial suspension that correlated with what we saw in vivo. So on the persons and I, and that also correlated with the analytical results that I got it. And I could even start, you know, I could even not only show how this correlates, but there were even, I could, I found an explanation for why it works in one and not the other. And That's very cool. Yeah, really great. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. That was a trip down memory lane because it's like <laughs> it over 10 years ago now that yeah. I did that. <laughs> so. I know. I'm sorry to make you trick all the way back, but that's really interesting. Like the, the problem solving aspect and being able to just keep creating these formulations and just adjusting in increments to figure out what's going on. That's very cool. I do. I do like that as. Yeah. You know, and it has such that, an yeah. applicability, which is still to this day. I, I love reading front end research. Also, you know, now I'm doing more things in the psychology um, area as a very broad term and even here, I love reading the front end research, but what I'm fascinated to do on my, you know, for myself in my own work is using what researchers find and then apply it and make use of in daily life. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the research is being done for a reason and 
you know, all of this work is just going to help everybody else's work down the track. And that's very cool. Yeah. So, you know, from, you know, actually being a scientist in, you know, frontline kind of level of work to now trying to make sure that, you know, other people can do their work better. How do we go to, how do we get to that transition right there? And what motivated you? Mm. Well, it was more a crisis than a motivation. <laughs> you know, sometimes it takes, it, it needs that, I don't know, it, maybe it was a sign from the universe. So I had been working in a company for a while in product innovation, creating new products, and I loved that job. But then there were internal restructurings, merger with another company. Long story short, the end result was that... Um, I was affected like a few others of my colleagues in such a way that I first, my job was made redundant. So there were, there was a period of six months where I had nothing to do because I waited for my job to become redundant. And then the, the new job that I transitioned into didn't give, you know, but which was still in the science area, didn't give me as much work as I, as I, I was, as I was used to. And over the 12 to 18 months that this whole period took being at only 10% of my capacity, this is horrible for someone who likes to work, you know, and you yeah. feel so useless yeah. and everything. And anyway, so instead of a burnout, I developed a bore out and I needed <laughs> help. And so I looked for a coach to help me because I, I just didn't see any way out anymore. I, I thought I tried everything to change my situation and within four sessions I started to feel better you know of course the situation was still the same but I started to feel clarity the greater sense of agency again and mm. uh, get new ideas of what else I might try to improve things and so on and I was like how did he do that I want to be able to do that too for people you know <laughs> and that is when I started coaching training um, and from there, it was just a rabbit hole. I found a completely <laughs> fascinating new, new area that, you know, to be interested in. And, um, that also led to me transitioning within the company into a different area than doing change management for those kind of transformation or change projects that were going on, which I'm still doing to this day. And on the side, I set up my own coaching business and what I have found so I explored different kinds of topics of course you know especially at the beginning you look very broadly and then sometimes something catches your attention where for me it's always like why are things so bad if we know how can how we can do it better and yes um, when I came across um, this research of the it's called the job demands resources model. And it's uh, over two decades of research that went into and that started off with research on burnout and how does that happen? And now they have a whole, those scientists, um, Arnold Bakker and Evangelia Demaruti, who first came up with this. They have a huge body of research around this and they have developed a whole theory around it. And it's just so fascinating and it's super applicable um, to use in our daily lives and the idea is, well, yes, you know, what contributes to us, to our stress can be also personal factors, can be things like 
you know, if we don't eat healthy, if we don't sleep well enough, these kind of things. Um, but work and the way work is designed and how we mm, live through our day at work has such an enormous contribution to our levels of stress, to our propensity to go into burnout, but also how motivated and engaged we feel. And this is a lever that is complete. Well, maybe this is a generalization here, but <laughs> from what I'm seeing and hearing, it's completely ignored or at least not intentionally in addressed in companies. And if we would address that, not only would people feel better, mm -hmm. um, but they would also do better work because, you know, if we, we do well when we feel good and um, who, and yeah, so I'm going to stop here. So that is, that is that journey and to my fascination of why and how I want to help others do better work. Yeah, absolutely. And it is one of those things where as, you know, the way that we view our life and our work has changed over the last few decades, people keep talking about how we do need to have work-life balance. And, you know, it, that's true. We do need to have work-life balance, but both will bleed into each other. And it's about having to have both work complementary and harmony together. So, you know, of course, you know, when you talk about change management, when you talk about process management at work, it's not just about the work, it's about the people as well. And, you know, how we, how we help people to manage those processes because it affects them outside of the office too. Oh, yes, yes. You definitely have a spillover effect. And, and still, I would argue that work-life balance as, a, as an idea, so for the sake of this conversation, let's define it as we have enough time for private life, for recreation, for replenishing our energy, for doing things that are fun, but also for caring for our life. Um, and because there are duties and obligations in that area too, you know? So yeah. let's say that is somehow in a good weighted balance with work. So instead of working 40 hours a week or even more, um, and we let's say we work 30 hours a week, I would argue that those 30 hours in a week could still be designed in a way that drains us so much that there's no recovering from it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then even if you have a good weekend in between, when you come to Monday, just, just seeing the building front door might completely like oh, suck the life out of you. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so even if we have work-life balance, even if we have the opportunity to replenish our energy, I still believe there's much to be gained um, to lower or decrease those factors that cause us stress and strain at work. And at the same time, increase those factors that, you know, fuel our motivation and engagement and make work fun. And I'm not arguing for, um, you know, work needs to be the center of your life and you have to define the purpose of your life through your work. Not everybody has to do that, but still it should be in such a way that um, we like spending time there. And yeah. yeah, I just hate to see people yeah. being miserable each day just because they have to earn a living. Absolutely. And it, yeah, it's one of those things where you don't want to end up in a position where even though you do have the actual time balanced, that time isn't spent effectively in both areas. Like you're 
toiling away at work only to come back to recharge just enough to continue toiling back at work again. And yeah, as you said, we can't do the work well when our head's not in the right, well, not in the game because we're there trying to keep up all the time or just trying to keep our head above water. Mm -hmm. So yeah, things are just so much more, um, you know, they take so much more effort to complete. Uh, we are a lot more touchy and then there's more conflict at work and misalignment. Um, we make more mistakes and all of this has an impact on the business and how the business performs. So it's even in the company's interest to look at those things. So how do we make better work then? <laughs> like I said, as a basis, I really like using this job demands resources model, which on one hand side looks for what aspects or elements of your work are there that need your sustained effort and energy and do they really need to be there and to that extent and at the same time uh, looking at those resources that we would have or could have available at work that give us energy and that motivate us and that help us achieve our goals and are we intentionally creating those um, and for everyone who wants to learn more about this we can give a few examples but I have uh, created like a PDF guide um, to this with like also little assessment for both the stress factors and the motivation factors. And uh, we can share the link to download that. Um, and, but just as an example, you know, a lot of those stress factors that are, that we can experience are things like high workload. So, and then we can look, okay, where's this high workload coming from? And sometimes it's because unexpected things happened and we just have to cope with them to keep the business running and that might happen. But it might also come from, are we taking on too much? Are we, you know, do our ambitions meet our capacity to go for those ambitions? You know, do we have the workforce and the headspace available to go after 5, 10, 15 very important strategic projects at the same time? Or should we maybe just start with three and get them done? And, you know, and, but then as a third option is the workload can come from inefficient processes. So where there's work that is being done that is not outdated or that could be, that is manual today, that could be at least partially be automated um, sometimes it's double work, it's ineffective collaboration between departments. Um, it is mistakes that are happening because, um, you know, and where you have uh, ping pong between departments when they have a hand, when you have a handover point within a process, when someone says, okay, I request something from you, please, please give it to me. Okay. In order to give it to you, I need to have this and this information. And then I give only part of the information back. And, you know, all of this is just takes up time. And so if we were to look at how our, our ways of working designed, then we could reduce this as a stress factor or for bureaucracy. You know, how many hoops do you have to uh, jump through in order to get things done? We can also look at the physical environment. So um, do I have a proper chair? Is there proper lighting? And then now with moving to you know, this idea of collaborative spaces and open plan office. And then when you have uh, 30 people 
sitting there all next to each other and everyone on the phone, that noise level, <laughs> that is, it just takes your, like, more effort to concentrate on what you're doing and who you're listening to under your headphones. Mm -hmm. um, and just, again, it adds to depleting your energy. And so is all of this really necessary or can we find ways here and there and there to tweak those environments? So that would be, or, um, you know, ideas on how we can, first of all, help us feel better, do better, have more energy to be more focused, um, all these kind of things on the individual level, but at the same time, it improves collaboration, uh, it reduces conflict, um, it, yeah, and improved processes, you know, there's a win for everybody in this. Absolutely. And, you know, all the things that you described, it's so many different factors. It's a really holistic view of the way that we do interact in the, within an yeah. organization because, you know, it isn't just about your literal work processes. It's about the environment and it's about how the environment helps facilitate all of that interaction, that communication and the relationship building when it comes to being able to create more efficient processes. And yes, yeah, so much involved there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a bit like it, in nutrition, you know, where when when people, when you say, okay, how do you eat healthily? Okay, I need a lot of this vitamin or I need a lot of protein or I need a lot of whatever, um, fibers, for example, you know, and then you, like with this, you could mix a, you could mix food that uh, has like, I don't know, um, a spoonful of vitamin C because you can buy that pure. Uh, it has a spoonful of protein powder and it has a spoonful of, uh, I don't know, flax seeds. So is that a healthy, nutritious meal that you can eat all of the time? No, it's like it, it, there are so many aspects and variety. And as soon as we start to, you know, singling things out is super valuable for research because then you control other variables and you can really start to understand more what impact this one thing, you know, it's like, what what effect does working with your strengths more have on how you perform? What effect does having a better sense of meaning or purpose have on your motivation? So singling those things out for research is incredibly valuable. And I love all those insights that has generated over the past year. But to think that, okay, I have read a book on my organization needs more purpose. And then just to create a purpose statement, uh, and think, you know, now everything is peachy. It's just not, life is more nuanced and complex <laughs> than that. And so we need to really always look at the individual situation and see what's working and what do we want to improve. So with all of these, you know, parts, how, where do you begin when you look into a new system that you, you know, it is systems analysis. You're looking at an ecosystem mm. in the organization to take it apart, to figure out, you know, where these improvements can be made. So where do you begin? Yeah. So again, I'm a scientist. So I look, I, I start by gathering facts and then analyzing them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like doing that together with the people that, you know, have hired me basically. So um, we ran a, a colleague and I, we ran a training on, you know, improving web, we call it a stress and resilience training, and it has aspects of, you know, how to manage your own stress and how to um, increase your own resilience. But there are a lot of things about what 
I just shared, you know, how can we look at and redesign the work that we do? And so the it has three modules. And in the first one, we have a part that is using the basis of this job demands resources model. So we explain the model. So there are those stress factors, there are those motivation factors. We give some examples and then we send them off into breakout rooms and say, okay, brainstorm, you know, what, what concrete examples do you see in your work environment or in your daily work that are either on one side or on the other side? And then we come back and we collect them. And typically, you know, things like having team support, feeling appreciated, getting things done, having moments of flow, these kind of things, they show up on the resources side. So they are really those motivating factors. And then on the... Uh, on the stress factor side, the job demands, they have things like oh, demanding customers, um, not feeling appreciated for your work or feeling your work doesn't matter, um, having super high expectations to oneself or all those different communication tools. So in one company, you might have a gazillion different systems through which you communicate about one project on. And people say, I don't even know where to go anymore. And then this expectation from others that I should reply in an instant. And so, so we collect those things. And then from there, we look at, okay, so, you know, where do we want to start? What's the biggest pain that we want to solve? But also, what are the quickest wins to increase those resources to feel more motivated and energized? Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the things you described there, it, it, does begin with the internal. So all the individuals are thinking about it from their own contexts. And mm -hmm. you know, it, it's trying to be able to express that in a way where it can be something that your managers and your organization can also hook into to be able to, I guess, make those improvements in a not purely business revenue generating way. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. So, you know, once you've actually gathered all of that, you know, how a lot of companies, whenever they start doing these things and they're told, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, our people feel better, that they're being more motivated, that they're happy to be at work. And then you end up with these, you know, different methods of data collection. You have surveys and you have, you know, team building activities or, you know, they'll, you know, organize socials and things like that. And, you know, some of those things fixes some problems, but not others. And a lot of the time you need, you'll find that the solutions they come up with, they feel like band-aids or just, you know, shallow mm -hmm. attempts. So how do you get them to dig a bit deeper with that? <laughs> You're absolutely right. So there's one organization that I've worked with who asked me or who said to me, Hey, like once a year we do this survey and we also ask people to rate their perception of their own well-being, and the score was really low and the HR manager was puzzled because it, man, we have the newsletter, we have all kinds of uh, financial perks that we give to them. Uh, we hand out vitamins. We have like, they had a whole array of, um, yeah, of things that they do in order to help people's uh, well-being. And people were really frustrated. So we had this kind of exploratory workshop to really understand what's lying underneath. You know, where's this coming from? 
uh, and to to hear from people themselves why might they think the score is so what might contribute to that and so on and what can came out of this conversation was okay you know thank you for those offerings but like you said you know it's, they feel a bit tokenistic when in fact the the source of my frustration and stress at work is not coming from not having enough tips on how to care for my mental health but it's coming from how things are being done around here and the biggest aspects that came through were the communication wasn't people just didn't feel well enough informed or they felt that whenever they voiced an idea that they had the feeling it kind of like disappeared into limbo and nothing came out of it and so elements like this and also then how they related to the leadership team not that not to their direct manager but to the leadership team really and from there we also we then did a second workshop to dive deeper into that uh, and we looked into concrete first of all things that they would ask the organization to improve so discerning what is already working well what do we want to keep but then also what should be different what would help us to feel better informed and you know less stressed because i know where to go for what kind of information and i feel i'm really part of this organization here and not kept in the dark um and but also we looked at what can people themselves do and what kind of attitude or mindset change might help here um to so that everybody contributes to that positive change and then the I fed that back to the HR manager and he really took it on with the leadership team as well. They improved their communication strategy. So it really needs action on the organization yes. side, you know, because if you ask for feedback and then you don't do anything with it, I mean, how, how compelled will people feel in the future to continue mm. to give you feedback, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but they really did the work and so within six months, about six months from that first workshop that I did with them to then having a fight, you know, it was like one last check-in, seeing how things have gone. Um, first of all, there were factual improvements that, you know, people recognized the effort and how structural things have changed that you could like really see. But at the same time, I also felt when I was on the, on the call with them, I viscerally felt that change in mood and energy and they were much more yes I can contribute yes I can make a difference yes there are still things to go but you know we're now we're talking now and um, we're moving in the right direction and we really appreciate all the effort that has been done and it was a complete night and day difference so great you know so again that there was a team that on the it seemed like um, was struggling with not knowing how to care for their well-being or their mental health. And so the easiest thing would be just to slap more resources at them, you know? So here's another online learning, here's another this, here's another that. But nobody needs more tips. <laughs> we need to <laughs> we need to make changes and you know go to the root causes and improve those um, to yeah, to to just reduce those stress factors. Exactly. And, you know, it, it's great because so many organizations as well, once they start on this thing, like they do the survey, there's no, there's no follow-up and then, you know, they, <laughs> they start the follow-up, but then it's kind of tokenistic, but even if they do start larger initiatives, you also need to be able to follow up. Like you need to measure whether what you're doing is actually effective at 
what you set out to do to begin with. So, you know, it, it's making those changes and making sure that those are the changes people are actually wanting and, you know, following through with it and making and allowing people to, you know, feel that when they do ask for things and, you know, are seeking change and proactive about making it happen, that they're seeing the same kind of energy back from their employers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, surveys are really great uh, in the way that they are easily scalable. If you always use the same questions, you can have this uh, comparison over time. You can, with all the analytics that's possible today, you can break it down per per team or per department and you can see, okay, where are we doing better than in other places? What maybe needs greater attention from our side? Um, but it's only quantitative data and you always need to pair, you know, in order to take meaningful action, um, you need to always pair quantitative data with qualitative insights and those you can only get when you start talking to people. Uh, and not talking to people to confirm your suspicion, but really going on a fishing expedition and be like really open as to what you might find and then willing to go where this inquiry takes you. Exactly. And, you know, there's so many things where, you know, there might be you know, certain issues that are particularly relevant to them, but that's not the actual problem. It's just a symptom. So unless mm. you keep talking, unless you keep digging, unless you're prepared to kind of go fishing, you won't know what the actual problems are because it could be something entirely unexpected that you weren't aware of to begin with as potential problem. Ah, very interesting. And, you know, there is so much psychology involved and it really is problem solving on a different level. <laughs> cool. Yeah, problem solving, but also... You know, but in problem solving, we tend to, and that is, and that is super useful for when we look at processes and when, you, when we look at systems, uh, the way we go about it is where we look at what, what's happening and then we try and find the root cause for what's happening. Mm. And we, sort of, where we look for the root cause of failure. When it comes to humans, what we find is that it is much more energizing and appreciative to not look for what's wrong with them <laughs> but then to also look for you know what's already working what is the positive core that we can build upon and then start to magnify that so mm. creating change can come from fixing things but can it can definitely and it when it comes to people the vast majority of initiatives we should really Build in this appreciative way to um, to find what's working and increase that. And instead of like, what do we want to get away from, and what are those root causes of failure, really define what do we want to move towards to, and what are the root causes of success. Because for every system, for every company, for every team, there are already those stories, those experiences, those remember when this great thing happened um you know so okay it has happened before so let's take that as an example let's explore what are the root causes of success here and then let's see how we can replicate that and um maybe uh, migrate those ideas into other places you know transfer them into on, on other challenges that we face or things we want to 
create. So, um, so those would be two different ways of going about um, creating better work. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's such a great perspective as well, because, you know, a lot of people see change management as doing out with the bad and, you know, starting over again, starting from scratch. But yeah, as you said, we, it, we don't always need to rebuild from the bottom up. There's always going to be elements that we can build on already, which are good. And it's, you know, just mm -hmm. refining those particular aspects to make them better still. Yeah. yeah, and to add a last or or an, an additional dimension to this is also to use all those opportunities to stimulate growth. Um, mm. Not growth in terms of revenue, of course. If that happens, that's great for companies. That's but <laughs> you know, growth as an organization. How can we grow individually through those journeys and through those challenges? How can we grow collectively as a team? But also as a business, you know, how can we get to greater levels of maturity in terms of how we operate? Um, and, you know, I, whenever I get to know other people, you know, people who work at companies that are different uh, than mine and uh, or have, have worked at other companies, you know, sometimes also the big names that you know of. And we all know how those even the biggest, most professional corporate, how they represent themselves and how they, you know, they, what they share about their business to the outside world. So we mm. see the, we see the shareholder reports. We see how, you know, their social media um, um, presentations, all these kind of things. And it always, and, and we see the job ads that they post, you know, and what they expect of candidates and what great things you get to do there and so on. And then you go and talk to people who work at those big companies and inside it is nowhere near as shiny. And sometimes mm -hmm. they just say, you know, I came to this company expecting it would be better than in my old one. But honestly, I am shocked as to how badly processes are run here. I am surprised that there are still any compliant or any uh, any great products even falling off the conveyor belt. Um, <laughs> and I hear that over and over again, that there's often such a, such a mismatch. It's like, it's like, how is that even for a company, you know? So like, I always think, so, okay, if this was my company, how acceptable would I find that, that things are run this way? And you know, I guess we're all doing the best we can with what we have. Um, but I sometimes have the impression when I talk to people that the focus is on too many shiny objects instead of getting the basics right that are, you know, that build the solid foundation. Hmm. And that's very important as well, because it is true. Like you, you, what we convey or what companies convey to the public is not necessarily going to be the same culture that is internal. And, you know, that, that's the most important part about any organization. You want, you want to be able to work in a place where you've got a good culture, where you've got one that is conducive for everyone to grow as an individual or as a contributor or, you know, however it is you want it mm -hmm. to improve and grow as a company. And, you know, that, that comes down again to, you know, does your brand identity man match your organizational culture? And that is all about all of these things with processes and making sure that, you know, you are listening to your people, that you are providing ways for them to be able to 
help achieve the culture that you present to everyone else. And yeah, that that's, it's something where, I've, yeah, I have spoken to other people and they're talking about interviewing with other companies and saying, you know, this looks really good on the outside, but you know, every company's the same. And that's really dire. Like when, when you end up with people so jaded to go, well, what we see on the surface, we know never to expect that. That's really quite, you know, it's quite painful. <laughs> and yeah, you know, how can you... It is. <laughs> and it, it's all the more important about why we need to be able to create spaces for culture to develop in a way where they feel good inside and out and people from the outside come in, don't feel this dissonance with what they see and what they experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ah, so much work to do. <laughs> True. Yeah. So, but it's work that is fun for me, so I don't absolutely. mind continue doing it. Yeah. So, what is the most fun for you about doing this work? You know, my. I'm not going to say my idol, but my. Mm, in terms of how I want to show up, a little bit of a role model for me is always Mary Poppins. And so the work that I do, I consider a little bit the same, like what Mary Poppins does. So while you think she's there to help the children, in fact, she's helping everyone, but not helping in the sense of give that to me, I will solve that for you. I mean, if she needs to, she will step in and help out, but she's really more a guide to them in terms of, you know, just being there, helping them things through, giving them a little bit of a nudge of what they might try, but still letting them, you know, go on their own journey, make their own mistakes, uh, uncover what's true for them and how they, you know, uh, create the life that those children and their parents want to create. And yeah, she's basically just there to help them not stand in their own way, kind of. <laughs> And that is what I enjoy a lot, you know? So I, it's really great work. It's very comforting for me to know that I don't have to have the answers for everyone, but also know that just by asking the right questions and creating a space of where people can talk to each other in a structured way uh, that leads to something other than blaming or that leads to something other than going around in circles, but really starting to think in new ways, um, I can help them yeah, find out what's true for them, what's great about how they already work together and what might be possible for, um, you know, for when they take action. And that is in you know, finding creative ways. So instead of having, I mean, there are, I do work with standardized trainings and so on. And when it's about skill building, those things really do help. But what I enjoy the most is um, just sit together with a team. It's like, hey, um, we just merged two teams uh, and we want to become one and we want to make sure we uh, work in the most effective way possible. Can you help us get there? And it's like, and then I can go and be creative, think about, okay, how would I set up this workshop? Uh, how would I facilitate this journey? What question do I need to ask? What things do they need to uncover for themselves in order to make those judgment calls, which next step to take? and so on. So I like the creativity and then, you know, just being there, giving them the room to talk, to think through things. And uh, then in the end, seeing 
them being completely motivated. It was like, hey, we have a great action plan. We really want to get to this goal. And, um, you know, feeling, and they're feeling so much more empowered because it's all they're doing. Yeah. And they're growing through that. And I, I just love it. <laughs> yeah. Be, being able to help others feel empowered to, you know, affect change in mm -hmm. places where, you know, they don't normally, or at the time, don't normally feel that they can. Yeah. That must be very energizing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we should probably continue on along these lines of, you know, your own little personal journey. Moving on to some of those extra questions. So what hobby interests do you have that is most unrelated to your field of work? I guess it's going hiking or, you know, going for walks in nature. Um, it's really, there's this weird effect that you can, so you probably know the feeling is like the mind is always spinning and always busy, but when you walk for a long, you don't have to walk fast or anything, but just for long enough. And typically for me, that points comes after two and a half and three hours of walking up until then, there's always still some train of thought going and my mind is jumping. I have to think about this and I have to ponder that and so on. But then after two and a half and three hours, all that goes away. And I'm just, and I'm just there. And this is such a, it's like a mini vacation for my brain. <laughs> <laughs> and so going hiking and marveling at nature. And now I really love that, you know, we're in spring now. Um, things start to get a bit more colorful. There's green coming out and um, flowers everywhere. So that's just, that's just really great. Yes, that sounds like a really great reset just to be able to, you know, reboot the brain for a little while. It's great. Ooh. And it's also, yeah, hiking in Germany sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah, there are some magical places. I know other countries are fascinating too, but Germany is not half bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad at all. <laughs> okay, and which childhood book holds the strongest memories for you? Ooh, childhood book. I guess the only book that I can remember reading as a child for book report was, um, it's called Mit Hagenbeck im Dschungel. So Hagenbeck was an explorer, I think. And he went into the jungle into, um, I believe it was Africa. And he, uh, in this book, he described um just basically what he saw and what he observed and there was a lot about elephants and it was just, I was so fascinated the, the book was already it was like half torn it was a really old book already then and um but I loved reading it and it, it was so touching for me um to read about you know how elephants live in a herd and then um then there would be a special place where they go when they notice okay it's like I'm I'm going to die soon because mm. I'm very old. And then they would go there and how the others would mourn them. And so on. And that was like, I think that was the first time um, I was somehow introduced to the ideas of that animals have those emotions and those so mm. social relations too. Um, because typically animals are talked about very clinically. So, you yeah. know, for, among people who don't know much about that. Um, but then to, to, to be in that story with those elephants, that was really great. 
Yeah, that, that's beautiful. And, you know, as a child, when you first come to understand that animals are social beings as well, and they do have these communities and interactions, that has to have been, you know, quite, yeah, enlightening as mm -hmm. a revelation. Yeah. Such a great story. And lastly, what advice would you give someone who would like to do what you do or what should they ignore? Find ways to start doing it in your daily life, like, like where you are right now. So, you know, you don't have to uh, change jobs first or you don't have to um, set up your own business first to get to do things, but look around at where you are. Can you volunteer? Can you experiment on your family? Can you um, just, you know, the, the, the place where you work, is there like, you know, if you want to host workshops, okay, offer offer to host a one hour, one and a half hour workshop on a certain topic. So, you know, just find those opportunities to mm, dabble in that and, you know, sprinkle that around your life like uh, little little seeds. And then over time, if you feel it's fun for you and if you want to pursue this further, then they you can find ways to grow those seeds. Yeah, it's such a good idea. And, you know, a lot of people, it's they're sort of, I guess, side hustles. A lot of people are now trying to explore things outside of work. And it's not necessarily stuff that's completely unrelated, but in some cases it is. But it's being able to try and find ways to explore these other avenues of interest that you have. And you know, if you do want to develop skills in those areas, it's you know, just giving it a try and having a little bit of a mm -hmm. dabble and you know, testing things out. It's, yeah, it, it's a good way of being able to just explore other opportunities that might be available to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's wonderful. Okay, well, thank you so much, Nicole, for speaking with me today. It has been absolutely wonderful learning about all the work that you do in, yeah, in helping other people do their work better and other organizations to help facilitate that. So if people would like to learn more about what you do, where can they go? Okay, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn um, and you can go to my website, um, so that is nicolechierske.com. Uh, it's very hard to spell, so <laughs> we put the link in yep, the show links notes. links will probably. be in the notes. Yeah, and then that resource that I mentioned is nicolechierske.com forward slash stress. And, uh, oh yeah, and also I have a podcast out too, it's called Better Work, and you've been a guest, the episode, as of this recording, your episode <laughs> hasn't been released, but it's in the queue. <laughs> so yeah, you can also listen to the podcast. Brilliant. Such a great round of resources. Okay. Well, thank you again so much, Nicole, for joining me today. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you, Misha, especially for those past focused questions that uh, took me back to really great and nice times of my life. So I think this can only become a good day today now. Oh, wonderful. Such a great start. Okay, thank you. Bye. It's a sad fact, but becoming disillusioned or facing burnout at work is not an uncommon experience. But it's been helpful to hear from Nicole about some of the ways that we can affect effective change in the workplace, both as individuals and as employers, so that we can do our best work and keep loving what we do. To learn more about Nicole and what we discussed on this show, or to connect with us, please visit the Steampowered website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also find out more about Nicole and her work on her website, nicolechusko.com, LinkedIn, and her podcast, The Better Work Podcast, the links for which will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let me know. 
Subscribe to the show, leave a comment, or share this with your geeky or geek curious friends. You can also support Steam Powered on Patreon and Ko-fi under Steam Powered Show, the links for which will also be in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.